wouldn't it be great if we also understood when are those points in time that we're going to be able to reach that target audience with the greatest potential, meaning the largest audience or greatest pool of that target at a certain time of day and week. Hey there, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce, the show where we get to hear from fast-growing D2C founders to executives leading the digital charge at the Fortune 1000. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO of Mission.org. And today we hear from Farba Zamanian, the Vice President of Advanced Media at Xperia Corporation. And while you might not know Xperia Corporation, I bet you do know the name TiVo. They were acquired by Xperia in 2020. You might think of TiVo as the DVR of days gone by, but the brand is still having a massive impact. That data that the company gathers is making it possible for brands to understand their customers better as it relates to TV, streaming advertisements, and more importantly, how they segment customers in new ways that allows brands to reach them in the moments that matter. Farabay explains all that right here on today's episode. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here today. I know we're going to have an awesome conversation First, I want to hear how you got into the space you're in, because I was looking through your LinkedIn and wow, I mean, to me, you're like the OG in the media advertising space. (laughs) You worked at Nielsen, Ipsos, Nielsen again, TiVo for a long time. So I want to hear how did you even get into this world? Yeah, I mean, I really had a passion for marketing when I went to college. I went to Ithaca College, which was an amazing experience, a great uh, emphasis on the media and communication sector. But, you know, in your early days, not like kids today, you know, back then I was kind of I knew marketing was of interest to me because I was so influenced by advertising and entertainment in general when I was growing up and you know, my parents were immigrants and, you know, they couldn't get enough of American culture when it came to entertainment and the experience of going to the movies and sitting around the single television set in the living room and and watching, you know, regularly airing entertainment shows and the movies of the week. It was, it, it, it was just something that I couldn't get enough of as a child, which really even through today, I, I didn't need a pandemic to become an intense consumer of entertainment. So when I graduated, it was, it was a recession and I happened to stumble on an opportunity at Nielsen. And I didn't know what aspect of marketing exactly I wanted to 
pursue. And so Nielsen just immediately exposed me into the world of measurement and advertising measurement in particular. And I realized that I had um, this quantitative side of me that, you know, was trying to calculate and understand what was the underbelly of whether it was how an advertisement was put together or once it was on air, what would what it would do in terms of influencing behavior. And that really just became a um, unseated passion that I realized that I had was the ability to leverage data in order to help build um, better, more impactful advertising by the measurement techniques that back then were very, what we would call archaic today, panel-based, you know, diaries where people would actually use a pen and a, or a pencil and write on paper. Wow. You know, it's so hard to believe, you know, kids today are appalled at some of the things that we did prior to email and the internet. Um, but it was an incredible uh, initial exposure into this world of, um, you know, where billions of dollars are invested to bring brands to consumers and, and brands being what need is it fulfilling um, from a physical need. But I think much more so as we think about today's world and all the different ways we're being targeted by media is what what's that emotional experience um, and takeaway or what whether it's a physical need or emotional need that that brand helps fulfill. So Nielsen was that starting point. And then having had incredible exposure to companies like MPD Group, uh, which is now going to be uh, merged with IRI to giants in their in the marketing research space um, by venture capital. But they were an incredible experience because of their entrepreneurial spirit and enabled us to build solutions to help measure the impact of advertising all the way through to Ipsos, where I was working much more in the copy and brand equity evaluation space, and then really just moved into where the digital intrusion started, which is, you know, the impact of media on advertising placement. And I got the opportunity to work in um, on a startup called IAG Research, which was acquired by Nielsen in changing the way which we are able to measure advertising in terms of its ability to break through, be memorable and persuasive. And that was, you know, an incredible pivot point um, because we were just getting exposed to the digital age within media. And here we are today with Intivo, been uh, worked at a startup called TRA, which was acquired by TiVo. And Two or more acquisitions later, a company called Rovi, and then most recently Xperi, um, still retaining the name TiVo. 13 years later, it's been um, an incredible experience being part of the evolution in media and advertising. Wow. Yeah, that is definitely an evolution that you've, and a journey that you've gone through with all the different companies, and I'm sure you've seen it all. I actually used to work with Ipsos back in the day, back in my Fannie Mae days, do, doing like research papers. And oh my goodness. Yeah. I uh, have a lot yeah. of experience with them. So how do I think about the landscape today? Because when I talk to a lot of brands who come on the show, many of them are just, and these are a lot of like D2C companies coming on and even the larger ones, they're just now saying like, well, TV's back, shoppable TV. I mean, this is, we're seeing great results here, but it feels like they're just starting to kind of dip their toes in maybe for the first time or doing it again in a new way. So how do I think about what 
the landscape looks like for, you know, something like TiVo and how brands can play? It's it's actually a very exciting time, but it's also an incredibly difficult time because what we see in the landscape is the various ways that we can reach a consumer through touch points. You know, the the laptop was the first to kind of extend beyond the main TV screen. Um, then we got our, our mobile phones, our, our basically our, our walking mini computers attached to our hip, our laptops, our iPads, and in growing number of TV screens inside the household that are smart because they're all digitally enabled um, to drive an experience that can be nimble and flexible and not just based on a schedule. And that's where it makes it very challenging for a brand is that we went from a world which was very scheduled, where I knew how I could reach that consumer, not just how through the main screen, the glass screen on the wall or on a tabletop, but I knew when, because the content that was being delivered was controlled in that it was a scheduled time and day and even before the DVR, which Chivo really was kind of the, you know, we shook things up and the, were a big disruptor because we started to take that control away from those that were delivering content because now I could record and watch that show at a later time, um, which would be unknown, right, from the advertiser perspective. And so now we're in this medium where we as a consumer can access that content whenever I want. It doesn't have to be on a date and time that is being delivered through one screen. So that presents challenges in touch points. And how do I know when I'm going to reach this valued consumer that is going to drive sales for my brand, whether they're an existing customer or an acquisition? So the challenge is, how do I know when to reach them and which medium is, is the best in order to ultimately drive conversion? So it, it really brings forward this um, immense need for data, not just from one single platform type or channel, is that I need to now gather data and intelligence about my customers from all of the different touch points and that presents challenges because of not just privacy and opt-in, the availability of the data, but also um, how do I integrate that to that personalized experience? And so every brand is going to have a different journey in terms of what the customer takes from where it goes from that first exposure all the way through to the point in which they're, they're ready to make a decision. So a direct-to-consumer brand versus a more traditional on-the-shelf, say, consumer packaged goods uh, brand is going to have a very different um, challenge when it comes to how do I assess all of these different touch points, knowing that the control is no longer through scheduled media. It's now based on personal experience for that consumer, which brings into effect lifestyle um, you know, not just their demographics and geographics, you know, that that's like a basis for getting started, yep. right? If the product's even relevant, but then it's about that journey for each of that consumer. So it's, it's incredibly complex and very different uh, than what we experienced before. But what it does bring forward 
is the opportunity for optimization and some of the new techniques that are being um, presented to deliver those messages so that ultimately we can reduce inefficiency and waste, which keeps media marketers up at night, advertisers, you know, maximizing every dollar that's invested um, to ultimately have it an, an outcome. So I think that that's really the landscape that we're talking about now. And, it, and it's um, incredibly exciting given this personalization that we can bring forward, but it's very complex and can be um, challenging for more brands than others, especially those that are more in, in, in controlled, privacy controlled environments, such as direct to consumer pharmaceutical advertising, for example. What about, I mean, I'm imagining right now outside of pharmaceutical advertising, we'll put that one to the side because that's like a whole different yeah. piece. But <laughs> it is a piece. Yeah, I'm like, I don't even want to touch that game. one yet. Yeah. <laughs> but for, I mean, I could see a lot of D2C companies, you know, adopting really quickly to this. I mean, they're used to all the metrics that they're, you know, normally yeah. get on any other platform. They have very high expectations of what they should be able to see. What about the larger companies, though, who maybe, you know, have in the past relied on the Nielsen's and, you know, surveys and, you know, sample data and stuff like how have you seen them adapting to these new platforms and all these new insights and ways of doing things that are probably very different than how they've ever done things before? It's, it's an amazing evolution, I have to say. And like we share past with Ipsos and even NPD. And, and I think about those infrastructures of those large organizations like PNG, Unilever, Colgate, you know, all the big ones. They were so reliant on external parties, partners, various agencies to assist them in basically taking these volumes of ad buys that they were making because they were so channel controlled, you know, linear TV. And then, you know, when the Internet came about and banner advertising, you know, display advertising still relied incredibly heavily on external support systems to enable them because their infrastructure didn't have the talent pool nor the fundamental underbelly in terms of execution systems or platforms. And what we've seen, especially in the last, I would say, three to five years, are these major companies now starting to take You'll hear me say control a lot in this conversation, but I think they're taking a lot of that control and bringing it in-house and investing in talent pools that enable them to start now harness the power of digital. Because again, inefficiency and waste is top of mind for, for many of these organizations because of their size and their volume that this evolution now has enabled them to really rethink the infrastructure of their organizations and bringing the capability and control in-house. And whether it be, let's say, a digital internal system that has the responsibility for planning how they're going to execute digitally. And now with all of the evolution in the, um, the touch points, including the ways that we can bring touch points together through artificial intelligence and machine learning and what we call device graphs, that is becoming more a part of the vernacular where about three to five years ago, if I had this conversation with a brand direct, 
it would just go right over their heads because it wasn't part of their infrastructure because everything was outsourced. So now you've seen major companies like Coca-Cola and Pepsi, for example, in in the soft drink area that have built an an investment in talent pools internally that are really building these think tanks of how they can harness digitally the um, different ways to reach their consumers, but doing so from within their own walls. So I think that's been the major change that we've seen with these larger organizations that traditionally were not as nimble, another buzzword, as a direct-to-consumer brand who's been born and raised in the digital ecosystem that's had that control and the access to techniques and tools like machine learning in order to get smarter and more efficient of how they execute um, and deliver their advertising and then measure it. So the bigger companies are still behind, but quickly building upon these new technologies that are evolving and bringing that talent in-house and restructuring the way they do business around it. Yep, it makes sense. So what do you think about Nielsen then? I mean, in my mind, outside of the pharmaceutical stuff, like where do, I don't know, are they going to be a thing in, in like the next three to five years? Because to me, data is all around us. You just have to know how to use it and harness it and yeah. you know get insights from it. And so if you didn't have privacy issues outside of those kind of industries, like will they be a thing anymore? Um, you know, I, I think the recent changes certainly dictate that they will. They were just acquired or at least in the process of acquisition by uh, venture capital. So Elliott Management Group. So this is a, a incredibly influential VC that I don't think they would invest in a Nielsen if they weren't going to be a thing. So I think what Nielsen's experiencing is, um, you know, it, it adaptation of the industry to taking control back in how they want to, especially on the publisher side. So think of the, the content providers, the Paramounts, the NBC Universals, et cetera, are really now because they have the data, they have the ability to see what are the levels of interaction with their, let's say, app-based viewing. They know what the sizes of those audiences are. They know what the usage behavior, the things they didn't have insight to before that were controlled by Nielsen. Now they can see, they can see for themselves, which is what's driven the disruption because they disputed what was coming out of some fairly, you know, antiquated because they're very expensive techniques to change overnight. So I think that this is a great opportunity for Nielsen to really reinvent itself. And obviously it's a global company. The U.S. is different in how it harnesses and leverages data. Some of that's going to change because of privacy regulations that we're we're going to start to see more of similar to what's happening in, you know, EMEA, for example, and GDPR. But I think that Nielsen's position in how it's going to be leveraged is going to change, whether it's a currency, um, which I know is another area of of conversation and debate. I think they are well poised to retain that currency position once they get through this kind of, you know, let the dust settle a little bit and really start to refocus on what it is they do really well. And they do really well at Think of it as calibration. 
you know, there's a lot of calibration that has to take place when you think about channels of distribution for video content. There are different ways to get to it. There's limited data sources. So coming up with a single methodology that is considered truth is where I think it's difficult to put that on all of these other providers that are coming out where Nielsen's kind of coming to the table with a lot of credibility already established. So so I, I don't think they're going to go away. I think their position in market's going to change, but I think they'll be in a better position to fulfill that position now that they've gone through or as they really settle in with this acquisition um, by venture capital. Yeah, makes sense. It'll be interesting watching them potentially disrupt themselves and, you know, kill off their entire business that that brought them here, which so many companies have had to do. So it makes sense. And then see what happens and see, yeah, if that credibility factor, who it matters to, because I could definitely see a lot of companies, it's going to matter a lot to have, you know, Nielsen stamped or someone stamping the approval on the metrics. And then maybe other ones being like, I don't need a stamp of approval. I'm moving quick and breaking things. I don't care. (laughs) Exactly. And I think that's really the real opportunity here. As a marketer and an advertiser, you now have choice that you didn't have before. So Nielsen was it when it came to that currency and said, this is the number of eyeballs. This is what the price is going to be based on those eyeballs. And now in today's world where you've got, you know, bidding systems and programmatic, a supply and demand chain, you know, as a direct to consumer, 100 percent digital that's the universe you can operate within and your prices can be driven based on, you know, supply and demand versus an external third party telling you what the price should be. So it's actually incredibly exciting, I think, for that advertiser to know what kind of options they have rather than be forced into a single directive on how much money to spend and where to spend it. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. So I want to hear some secrets that you're uncovering right now. I mean, you guys get, you know, insights into a lot of data. You get to see what consumers want. You get to see what the best brands are doing and what's actually working. So I want to hear if I'm a brand thinking about jumping into this world, what are some maybe secrets that others don't know about around maybe how consumer behaviors shifted over the past couple of years or maybe things that are working that haven't worked previously or are brand new? Like, what are you seeing behind the scenes? Well, I mean, we are a provider of, so TiVo, we have software that um, basically we work with pay TV providers, so uh, which are evolving from what they're called as cable providers um, to really broadband based and delivering that content experience. So we've been capturing data passively through our software that 
think of it as like the iOS of like the iPhone, that like underbelly software system is what our software with the interactive guide and as it evolves more um, with search and recommendation software enables us to get access on a passive basis, the uh, insight into consumption patterns of video content. And so what we are, I would say we are one of the most neutral parties out there, meaning we are not a walled garden. So our software can sit on different types of cable providers across the U.S., different TV sets. It's not limited to a single provider type. Now YouTube, right? You guys just integrate with YouTube TV. Yes, on our stream 4K. That's right. So really bringing that experience and diversified experience to consumers, we're gathering on the back end. We're looking at the data on an anonymized basis, of course. And so the exciting thing that we're seeing is that level of interaction that, that's happening when it comes to video consumption. Um, so I said earlier about that scheduled experience is what we were able to harness as an industry on you know, putting a currency behind media placement. And so today it's very difficult because we don't know what are the habits and practices because things sit behind walled gardens. So how do I know if the experience on a Samsung TV is the same as somebody who's on an LG TV when I'm going to those two separate walled or, or Vizio yeah. to really understand behavior and generalize that if I'm a brand that has you know a consumer target that's a cross section of the US. So I think what's exciting as a neutral party is we're seeing that more of a cross section of these behaviors and something We've done over the past couple of years, we launched a media player called Stream 4K, going beyond our legacy DVR experience of bringing entertainment to consumers so they can find, watch, and enjoy. We are now also seeing the behavior and interaction between linear and stream-based or app-based viewing. And that interaction is helping us. And what I'm excited about is to understand a little bit more about the habits and practices of homes across the U.S. and various types of homes, of course, in understanding like what is that consumption pattern, right? Not everybody has cut the cord. You know, that's a big misconception. And in fact, there's even more of a potential rebundling coming back where the cable providers are being able to draw back consumers who are tired of not being able to find what they want to watch because it's dis disaggregated across, you know, tens of thousands of apps that are out there that you can download. Yep. And of course, there are some big winners like YouTube, like you mentioned earlier, uh, of course, for especially for short form content. But for that long form content experience and being able to understand behaviors, I think for us, we're in a unique position when I'm excited about or some of the secrets that I think that we're going to be able to uncover soon is you know, what are those habits, especially for those that have both in the ways to reach or drive a deliver a brand message or advertisement versus those who are only in app based. And again, I'm talking about the, that video consumption um, through the traditional screen, mm -hmm. um, the TV screen. And so I think that is a big question mark. And I know Nielsen and the you know, comp scores and a lot of folks have had initiatives to try to get a, a sense of that. But I think that what we've been really excited about is to quantify that behavior so we can help present a guide that's 10,000 feet up about 
what are people doing on a given day of the week or, you know, month of the year? Has the seasonality changed? You know, we're so used to certain seasonality of, of linear content, you know, in the fall season is new shows, then you've got mid-season replacements, then you've got finales, then you've got the summer programming. You've got all the live sports in between and, and tent poles like Super Bowl and Olympics. And so I think that now that we all have seen this massive penetration of smart TVs in homes, people are, you know, accessing their content through Wi-Fi versus a coaxial cable. This is really changing that entertainment experience inside the home. But wouldn't it be great if we also understood when are those points in time that we're we're going to be able to reach that that target audience um, with the greatest potential, meaning the largest audience or uh, greatest pool of that target at a certain time of day and week. So I think that's some of what, you know, secret wise that um, we are, we're gathering and very soon to bring to market. And it's really exciting. Are there any early insights you can share? Anything that, you know, you're starting to see around, you know, I don't know, Samsung TV, not as much usage. It's hard to use. I don't know. I just made that up. Or is there any like, you know, just early data points that could be completely wrong that you come out with your report in a month and you're like, sorry, stuff that was like inaccurate, but anything that you guys are starting to like see bubble up right now in the data? Nothing that I can with confidence say is okay. still so new. And otherwise I'd be, you know, jump, chomping at the bit to share it with you. But I think it's more of just being able to see the amount of time that's being spent, especially in an app-based, is for me incredibly. I mean, there are lots of numbers that have been quoted out there. Some are surveys, some are within walls of, you know, is it an hour a day? Um, how much time is it a month? And what are those apps that are spending? And more importantly, for the advertisers out there, is are those ad-supported environments? you know, are in, in terms of those that are subscription-based. So the SVODs, you know, the Netflixes of the world versus those that are ad-supported video on-demand services, which enable that ability for advertisers to drive incrementality to their other initiatives. So outside of the linear, traditional linear experience, the scheduled experience to the one that is on-demand by the consumer which is, you know, it's a tough nut to crack and optimization is difficult because we tie everything to outcomes based, you know, post exposure, do they then go? So I think that's where we're now really evolving. And there's some great companies out there that are starting to um, really standardize their practices across verticals. So when a brand starts thinking about, you know, pursuing this as an advertising strategy, how do you recommend they think about segmenting their customers out to make sure that they're effectively advertising? Like what are some best practices around that? Well, I think that, you know, the traditional techniques are still very, very sound um, in terms of identifying, you know, who is the target consumer and going through very rigorous techniques, including, you know, interaction with customers, even traditional things like focus groups, right? I think we don't talk about focus groups anymore, but... I hear it every once in a while, but yes, not often. Not often anymore, right? Um, I think that, you know, it, we can't lose sight of that human element as part of the development process. I think 
what we have to be concerned about is because of all of these passive big data sets that are being collected, you know, kind of as in this voyeurism type of setting that we're in, that digital has enabled us to do, is that it does a really good job of really uh, understanding behavior from a consumption and then ultimately action, whether or not they go to a website or actually buy the product, et cetera. But the understanding of the consumer, what drives them, the emotional elements, the fundamental, you know, think of that, what was that, that hierarchy Hierarchy of of needs, needs, you know, let's not forget about that. And the ability to interact and talk to your consumers, you know, we, if anything, we've learned, look at this world we're in and doing a Zoom call. and, And we realize that we still need to see each other and talk to each other Email is not enough, right, when we're interacting. And I think the same holds when you're with consumers is the ability to still talk to them and make them tangible, but understand that we can't generalize them even within a target, right? So I always use this example in the early days of consumer of targeting audiences in media is that we may fall within the same demographic group, yet my preferences for video could be completely different than yours, right? So let's say I, I check all the boxes on demo, geo, you know, income, all those stuff. But what my what drives me in my entertainment experience is an individual need. It could be where I am at the state of, you know, my life cycle, family, social experience. So that's the world that we're now in because of micro-targeting and these capabilities that we have of personalization is we still need to understand these individuals from what drives them and, and what motivates them. So that human element of understanding still needs to be a part of the customer segmentation process. We can't rely on just these passive data collection from 10,000 feet to drive segmentation, certainly as a starting point. But then now that we have this capability of personalization through digital channels, now we have to even get more and and assure that we're aligning this customer segmentation process to align with how we're going to reach that individual. So, So there's a gap in between that's always been there especially in the, the years prior to digital, where we spend all this time in segmenting our, our consumer base. You know, let's say we've got, you know, five key groups that we have identified and then we go on air and media and it, it doesn't include any differences between the five. It's just a general, oh, well, I'm going to buy based on, you know, where the eyeballs are for this demographic and geographic. But now I can target based on a host of other things, such as whether or not they buy my product, they buy competitors, I want to do some conquesting, I know how much time they spend on my app, et cetera. But am I then doing that at a basis that coincides with those five different segments that I've developed, which are being defined based on something other than behavior when it comes to actions? It includes their emotional, psyche, you know, home, their status at home? Um, Do they speak Spanish predominantly in the household? So, I mean, these are just, you know, basic things throwing out there. But I, I, I think that's really the challenge now in the customer segmentation piece is ensuring that when we look at the outcomes, because we can do so at such a finite level, that that goes back into the customer segmentation process. And so it is an end to end that we've never had before 
because we couldn't track somebody through their first exposure to an action in the old days. But now that we can, we can now tie that back into the customer segmentation process and defining those core groups and turning the dial up and down like we can in a simulator on each to determine what level of investment and what are the strategies and tactics we want to deploy to get to each of those different groups. And that tactic could be different. So it could be one is going to be traditional linear, you know, highly efficient supplement with some CTV because now we have ways to target uh, for incrementality and place against that target. So we just need to diversify the plan that really speaks to each of those segments. Yep. Seems like although we're learning more about, you know, the human element piece and trying to understand humans better and, you know, what we do and how we interact and consumption patterns, it also seems like it's going to keep getting harder and harder because there's all these new places to play. And one person can essentially be anyone they want and, you know, act in a different way on every platform they're interacting in. And especially once, you know, metaverse and VR becomes even more of a thing. It's like all of a sudden one person can be like a hundred different profiles. Absolutely. So it seems like the needle, like the bar will keep being moved higher, even as we keep trying to understand that person where they're at. It's like, it keeps getting harder to understand them because you're able to do and be so much more than you ever could, you know, even five years ago. Absolutely. That's exactly right, Stephanie. (laughs) I mean, it, it is really that. And I think that, At the same time, it's what we've been asking for as an industry, right? Long ago, I remember it'd be like, oh, I need the holy grail. I need the holy grail where I can tie somebody from exposure to action. Well, guess what? We're well past that. We can do it. But now it's brought a host of different challenges because now we we don't need that anymore. We don't need that anymore. (laughs) Now it's more of like, oh my gosh, we could do it in so many different ways as individuals. And so the best thing we can do is start grouping these people into look alikes that they look a lot and assume that we could drive impact without draining our resources because all of this comes with a requirement on resources, whether it's people, dollars to invest against campaigns, the technology, the outsourcing that needs to be done. So all of this needs to be brought into consideration. But the advancements are there, especially with machine learning, which kind of segues into that whole, like you said, metaverse and these new worlds that we're creating. Yeah, yeah, it's just going to continue. The bar is going to continue to get get higher. I think uh, it's still a advancement from where we are, which is what we should all be really proud of as an industry. All right. So I want to do a quick lightning round with you before we end the interview. You will have two minutes no, one minute or less to answer each question. The lightning rounds brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud, our lovely sponsors. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. First question. If you had a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be? It would be about data. And I knew it. My first, <laughs> and my first uh, guest would be the trade desk. Interesting. All right. I like it. What's something you don't understand today, but wish you did? I would say a little bit more about metaverse and that, because to be honest, I've used my nephew's Oculus and it makes me nauseous. So Mm -hmm. I don't know how people are going to do that. (laughs) Supposedly it's getting better. Supposedly. Okay. We'll see. Yeah. Back in uh, when I was at Google, I sat down in a, it was a simulated car 
And then you had to like drive and do all these things. And I remember walking away being like, whoa, whoever has to like yeah. do this every day, I am very sorry for you. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it's getting better. What is your favorite piece of technology that you're either experimenting with right now or want to that you're maybe really bullish on? Um, I would say, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm constantly experimenting with our own product, our Stream 4K, um, and where we're taking it into the TVOS universe. So I think I'm really excited because I didn't spend enough time comparing the incredible attributes that it has versus some of the other media players. So I think for me is really um, engrossing myself in that consumer experience like everyone else. And then bringing that intelligence back in-house based on that experience, also knowing what would a marketer do with this type of information. Um, so wearing all those different hats, really exciting for me is to apply my own personal experience to that. Yep. Amazing. All right. Well, this has been an epic interview. Thank you so much for hopping on the show and sharing all your wisdom. Where can people find out more about you and what you're working on? Please feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm there. That's a social platform I use all the time, Farah Bismanian. Just look me up and uh, learn more about the types of things that we're doing at TiVo. Um, follow us at TiVo on our TiVo blog on LinkedIn. And we'd love to hear more from you at getconnectedattivo.com. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you, Stephanie. It was great being here. listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.